0: Well, welcome back, everyone, to Mike's podcast. It is good to have you here. Uh, A few things before we jump into the interview. First, um, I'm so glad to have heard from so many of you. Um, There are several of you who have reached out who are leading churches that you find yourself kind of feeling ecclesiologically homeless. You think like, like, I think I fit in this post-evangelical space, and you've reached out, and I have enjoyed connecting with you. And um, I'm really excited about some of the things that are on the horizon. And so we got some cohorts that are launching soon with um, pastors, leaders in in the church in this space. And we'll look forward to doing a few more of those and then some other stuff in the future there. And then several of you have been so generous uh, about supporting me in this work and uh, the stuff that I'm doing with the Post Evangelical Church. And I just want to again say thank you. I'm so grateful for you doing that. Now, we're not going to... This isn't like a podcast that's meant to be all about the post-evangelical church. So we'll definitely pop in on that stuff here and there. Uh, I got a few more friends that I've been lining up to interview who are leading churches in that space that that I want us to hear from and learn from. Uh, But the other things that I want to do on here are like what we're doing today is a friend of mine, Tatiana who is, um, ha- has served in some roles and worked in some jobs where she's been pretty high up in the social media space. And um, and so I just want to like pick her brain a little bit on what's like healthy ways of engagement there. How should we be thinking about our social media engagement? What does that look like in the season where we are so much more attached to screens than we've been before? And so I, I want to just have some people like that on here who are interesting to me and who I want to learn from or some friends that like I want you to get to hear from that, that I get to chat with. And I'm like, oh man, I wish more people could hear from this friend. And so we've had some like that. We'll have some more interviews that are like that as well. So we'll have some post-evangelical interviews. We'll have some people that are just interesting and helpful and that we want to learn from. And then along the way, um, I'm going to jump back into doing a little bit of teaching on here as well. And so... For those of you that have been around for a bit, we started the podcast walking through some major themes from the book of Job and thinking about what does this, this ancient book have to say about what's going on in our current moment, and we began exploring that when um, when COVID was sort of like first hitting and, and shutdowns were first happening, and we began exploring what this ancient book said about that current moment, and uh, I, I want to continue to do that with some other stuff, and so we'll... We'll explore some other themes from the scriptures or some other passages from the scriptures, and we'll we'll do a few series on that as well. So just kind of wanted to give you a heads up on where things are going. Um, anyways, as always, it's always good to be with you, friends, and I'm going to jump on over to our time with Tatiana. All right, friends, welcome back to the podcast, and uh, it's good to have you back with us. And I have my friend Tatiana here with us today and um Tatiana maybe the first thing that you're gonna need to do is I have a terrible name for my podcast it's Mike's podcast and you are all up in marketing so I feel like you are gonna have to like fix my name and branding of, of my podcast. Um that's possible. Yeah yeah okay let's let's get on that I've asked several people to do it but they're all like theology nerds and you know theology nerds have different ideas about this than than those of you who know what you're doing. Um, so for those of you listening, Tatiana is, um, she was the head of music at Twitter. Is that right? Mm-hmm. And then you were leading celebrity engagement at Tumblr, right?
1: Yeah.
0: Sort of. Yeah. Sort of, sort of that.
1: It was entertainment, part, global entertainment partnerships, but celebrity engagement is the same thing.
0: I mean, in my mind, and not being in that world, that's how I always understood what you did. And now you are doing digital marketing with Amazon Music. Mm -hmm. And so you are engaged in this whole tech world. And then um, I got to know you because you uh, came and were a part of the church that I was pastoring for a while. Mm -hmm. And um, I I would love to talk to you a bit about some tech and digital stuff. Uh, Maybe before we get into that, I'd love to like, do you mind sharing a little bit of your faith journey of like what that has looked like for you?
1: Yeah. Whew, what a journey. <laughs> um, so I, well, I think it's important to see who my parents were cause that's like how it happened. Yeah. Um, so my mom was a Brazilian undocumented immigrant who was raised extremely Catholic. Brazil is either hyper evangelical or hyper Catholic so she was raised very Catholic. My dad was um, an Orthodox Armenian who was born in Brazil because his family were refugees after World War II and then raised in East LA. Um, So my earliest faith memories were going to Catholic church, and I was honestly very bored. I remember being like, I just want the snack, which was the wafer. (laughs) Like these are very basic. And then there was this Armenian lady in my mom's neighborhood who um, ministered to her and invited us to their Christian church. And my earliest memory was just like, this church has better snacks. (laughs) So, so, you know, we, um, we joined this um, evangelical church. Um, And then as I got into, um, as they, they moved to, Whittier, California. They got involved with Florence Avenue Foursquare and the Foursquare Church, like very deeply evangelical. Um, I was all the way in it, like church camps and yeah. speaking tongues business. And um,
0: can I ask, do you still speak in tongues, or is that a experience of a younger okay at a
1: younger age? Yeah. It was sort of like, I feel like if you grew up deeply Pentecostal and evangelical, you felt like you had to do it, you know, and we would make jokes about saying Shavala Honda if you didn't know like what to say. It just felt kind of foreign and weird. Um, My mom was really into Trinity Broadcasting Network.
0: Okay.
1: And she really wanted to be a televangelist. So that was a fun journey for me because it was just like, I mean, you know, I would say like Latinos in general tend to be very hyper religious. And um, my dad was always a lot less,, um, a lot less, you know, active than my mom. But my mom was like, we had like the daily bread. Um, like Bible verses on our, yeah. on our desk, our, you know, kitchen table. And we had to do all of this stuff all the time. And um, you know, I, I, got involved with the Foursquare church. I was going to church camps and, um, and then I started visiting, I, I started church hopping with friends and like in the late nineties um, Calvary chapel was kind of like the cool church in orange County. And yeah. Los Angeles, and so I started visiting um, Calvary Chapel Costa Mesa, which was Chuck Smith's church, and late the late Chuck Smith, um, and that really resonated with me. It felt um, a lot less heavy-handed than some of the evangelicism I grew up with in the Foursquare church. I graduated high school and went to Life Pacific University for. Years and then I went to Biola University.
0: And Life Pacific is a, it's a foursquare, four square, foursquare. right? Yeah, okay. Yeah. And then Biola is, of course, the Bible Institute of Los Angeles,
1: Bridal Institute of Los Angeles, and um, paid that off for years, even though I dropped out. Um, and I would say that that was like college was definitely where there was a um, a shifting of my faith journey. Okay. I, I, because, you know, my mom was really legalistic and she would do things like when I was seven, she gave away all my toys and told me that the Lord told her to do that. Cause I didn't, make hmm. my bed. you know, it was like, the Lord was my mom in a lot of ways and he, I didn't really like it, you know, but I knew, I knew there was a different God out there. I knew like, it's really interesting for a lot of people who grow up jaded in the Christian church. And then become rock stars (laughs) you know i actually was someone who was able to separate my my parents point of view like i could tell that tbn was something that i didn't resonate or believe in okay i could tell that this legalism and this very like i would say almost pauline approach to christianity was not was not my bag um, you know, Biola is notoriously strict. I don't know if it still is today, but it was like, you know, no smoking, no drinking, no this, no that. Um, there was a really scandalous issue when I went there where a couple were dating, the girl got pregnant, and then she decided to keep the baby and they were trying to kick her out, but not him. And she was like, but I'm literally doing the thing you say we should do, which is keep the baby.
0: Yeah, it's like Johnny right there of the woman caught in adultery. Like, we don't care about the dude. Who
1: yes. yes, And, who and got the woman. Yeah. Literally took it to like legal action and stayed. Um, really? Yeah. I mean, this was the nineties. So I think it'd be very different today. I hope it would be, but um, I started realizing that I had a different journey than my parents. And mm-hmm. um, in my early twenties, I read this book by Alan Watts, who is I believe he's a Zen Buddhist and it was called the book or the taboo against knowing who you are. And that just blew my worldview wide open. And I realized that, you know, you know, at some point you have to choose your faith for yourself, right? Like I'm not just going to vote the way my parents vote. Cause they tell me to, or I'm not going to just believe the God, like you have to wrestle with that faith yourself. And so um, I went through a period in my twenties where I, I had no faith. I don't want to use hmm. it or fall away. Cause I think it's so judgy and,
0: yep. and very shame based.
1: Yeah. It's just so gross when people do that, but like, I just needed a break and I, you know, I was in the music scene and I was touring or I was doing music journalism and I was just out having a life and, and getting into stuff. And when I was 30, Can I ask
0: really quick, was it, For you, was it just like a conscious rejection of like, this just doesn't make sense for me anymore? Or was it just kind of like, there isn't room in my life for this right now. And I'm just not giving it that much attention.
1: I think it's a bit of both. I mean, I think there were, there was a lot of negative connotation and baggage that I had attached with it. You know, Um, I, to be full disclosure, I was never fully disconnected because I got, I got loosely connected with the christian music scene and so when i was 19 years old i met guys from the prayer chain and plank eye and starflyer 59 and all these different bands that were really seminal in this new version of music that was coming out that was not overtly christian but the people happened to be christian you know starflyer have gone on to you know um influence a ton of different artists outside of, you know, the, the world of, you know, Christian music. And so I was involved with a bunch of people who were believing in Jesus, but also drinking beer and smoking cigarettes. And it was much different than what I was raised in. And so for me, that was actually an important middle ground to find like people that I felt were quote, normal and Christian um, because, you even see it today. There's like this, there's this desire in Christianity to be super uh, Western Christianity, I should specify, to be super ascetic and like, I'm better than everybody because these are all the things I don't do. (laughs) And, and to me, I was like, that's very legalistic and I don't like it. And I always felt it was very divorced from Jesus and his theology. And so, yeah, I mean, I, I took a break for years, I would say, and then as I got closer to 30, I started changing a bunch of things in my life. You know, I quit drinking, I quit smoking. I started dipping my toe back into churches again. I started going
0: to, you stopped doing all the things that you weren't supposed to do. Yeah, I know. Before. I
1: I know. Isn't that ironic? I was like, I'm now more Christian than all you Christians. Uh, (laughs) Started going to reality LA. Um, Tim Chadwick is just a great, He's, he's not there anymore, but he's, I guess he's moving back with his family, um, to Ventura or something, but. He, and that's
0: really a Calvary movement. Yeah. The reality yeah. movement is, was like the hip, the yeah. hip young Calvary. Yep.
1: Yeah. yeah. And, and, you know, I, I'm, I'm definitely more on the liberal theology side of the fence these days. And I, um, you know, I think there've been so many things that have come up, um, just over the past five years especially you know you know with movements that whether it was Black Lives Matter or or Kids in Cages or you know gay rights or so you know all of those things like there's so many there have been so many movements and there have been so many areas where um, I've just felt like Jesus would be in the middle of the people. Like that's, that's what Jesus would do like full stop. Like, I don't doubt that at all. Like, I don't think Jesus would be endorsing a politician. <laughs> like I just don't believe that for a second, you know? And so, um, I just, I, and and I've found people, I've watched so many Christians I know, like get there as well. I, I would say like, I really love the teachings of Timothy Keller. Um, scott sauls um i got really into like the book that he wrote a gentle answer this past Mm -hmm. year um because it was hard for me to have a gentle answer this past year you know it's like i had friends and family members get into QAnon, and i was like this is bonkers and you know it it's um it's just it's tough so my journey is one where um I, I don't define my Christianity by, I used to, I used to define my Christianity. Like it was, um, like there was a board at school where I would get gold stars based on how Christian I was being like, I'm in the worship team, gold star. I didn't cut this week, gold star, you know, like I went to church four times gold star. I don't do that anymore. Um, these days it's like, there's a church on the East coast we watch that we really like called the Mech church. Um, it's like Mecklenburg church. Um, okay. I've been enjoying watching that church. Pastors theology is pretty dope. I like Bible-based teaching. That's open-minded. That's all of theology. Um, I have a lot of Christian friends who are a part of what I would consider the progressive Christian movement, you know, who are mm-hmm. like yeah, black lives actually matter. It's not a controversial statement. We're just saying that's a thing. <laughs> We're not saying they're superior. We're just saying they matter. Um, but um, you know, I'm, I'm thankful for that community. I'm a big fan of like praying out loud in my car. That's like one of my happy places. Uh,
0: <laughs> um, to my house is a yeah. happy
1: place these days. So
0: No, thanks for sharing all that. I kind of, a part of why I wanted to ask you is because, I mean, I didn't know all of your story, but I did know you had grown up in a more conservative, um, fundamentalist kind of experience in some ways, Mm -hmm. and you have grown and evolved and changed along the years, and and yet at some level have still found a way to connect with faith and to find faith meaningful. And it's even interesting that the two pastors that you mentioned, Tim Keller and Scott Sauls, are both like conservative white men really Mm -hmm. um so i love the like sort of space of like um you're trying to figure out like what does it mean to follow jesus and you aren't just saying i'm only going to listen to voices that fit on this side of the spectrum Mm -hmm. like i'm trying to figure out what it looks like to follow jesus and whoever's going to help me do that is going to be helpful
1: Mm -hmm. yeah i mean i i um you know, we're going to talk about social media. So I will say, like, one of the things that I'm very cognizant of is um, echo chambers, right? And yeah. even when I say, like, you know, I know people who are in a QAnon and that's really crazy to me. I did spend a lot of time researching the psychology of um, conspiracy theory and the psychology of um you know, this movement and people who join it. And I've read articles about people who leave it. And one of the biggest takeaways I took um, was that everyone has a, has a desire for a sense of belonging. And when when the world feels rudderless, people are looking to make sense of things. And what's, what's interesting is like, if you have faith, you should just be saying, well, it's not my place to know. Like God knows, you know, um, but I think for so many people that wasn't enough, it was like, I need to grasp at something that will make all of this chaos make sense. And so Mm -hmm. some random dude who started posting crazy stuff on the internet has created this movement that is, um, has really impacted theology and Christianity in America. And worldwide, I would say it's even in Brazil, where my family's from. Um, and um, and I I, I guess I, I I wanted to really understand it too, because part of me was like, oh, this is how the Antichrist happens. Like this, <laughs> like this is this is what Revelation's getting into. But you know, it's just I I want to understand because I want to find a way to love people even when I disagree with them, even if I don't get that same love in return.
0: You know what I mean? Yeah. I like that. That's really good. Um, And I would add, I think, so we see more people in the the percentage of people who believe in QAnon in the evangelical church is higher than in other spaces. Mm -hmm. And some of that comes out of like, even what you're alluding to there out of like, some of the theology of revelation that we've taught, and we've created like, it like there's so much um conspiracy theory theology mm-hmm. that's birthed in evangelicalism that it makes a really easy on-ramp to something yeah. like a QAnon yeah because yeah. um, it's already in the water that sort yeah. of thinking is already there um yeah so you said you we're going to talk about social media which is what I had originally asked you if we could <laughs> chat about and I appreciate you sharing all of that um and you are like, if somebody were to like look you up to give you to give you credibility uh, uh, for people who don't know you, I'm just gonna say like, you have your name on Twitter and on Instagram. You're Tatiana on those. You were blue check mark before it was cool, before it was hip to get blue check marks. You, um I asked you one time like, hey, how how do I get like at Mike on Twitter or Instagram? And you're like, you don't you don't want it. That's that's not an enjoyable experience to to have that. But you're Tatiana. Yeah. On those, which is a big deal. And so you've been working high up in social media companies for a while. And um, and you've seen the dangers of it. Like, I remember when Social Dilemma came out. Mm-hmm. I don't remember if you texted me or if you posted this, but I saw you said something like, this is all true and real. Like, all the things that are going on here. This yeah. is real stuff. Yeah. Um, could you, like, um, not asking you to disparage these companies or anything, but, like, could you, like, pull back the curtain a little bit? Like, why why should we have some concerns? What are some of the, I want to talk about the positives too, and I want to talk about some of the, the digital mindfulness that you talk about. Yeah. Um, but like, could we like pull back the curtain on some of the like yeah. dangers that are there?
1: Yeah, well, I think one of the things that the social dilemma documentary, and it's on Netflix for anyone who hasn't seen it. Um, One of the things they pointed out, which I thought was really important that a lot of like lay people who use social platforms don't think about is, you know, um, a lot of people are like, Oh, I'm being censored or blah, 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 blah. But the reality is, um, you are using a product for free and you are the product because when something is free, it's not a service that you're paying for. You are essentially data to that company.
0: Mm.
1: And Um, you know, every action you take is logged on the back end and creates what's called the social graph, right? So every like, everything you save, everything you share, every picture you post, all of that, you know, so historically, you know, that was created so that they could sell ads to, pe- to people based on what they like. And on, listen, I think on Instagram, it works really well. I mean, all of us have jokes about like, oh my God, an ad for these crazy sweatpants and I bought them, you know? But it's just, but that data was also used, um, The Great Hack, which is another documentary, um, which is really compelling, um, talked about how that data was used to weaponize political disinformation and effectively get people into movements like Q, and into movements like you know i mean at one point they were talking about how they were creating fake protests and they would put a counter protest the same like they were having a pro-black lives matter protest and they would create an anti-black lives matter protest to create chaos in a city um to to try and get more people to vote um for trump and so I think that it, you know, when I, when I was working at Twitter in 2011, um, we, we were not thinking about all this stuff to be totally honest. Sure. We were like, we're changing the world. Look what you can do. You know, it's like I can get a reply from my favorite artist or like there was an earthquake and people were using Twitter to get out. Cause you know, I mean, it was just very naive time, but
0: And it was exciting. I mean, I was on Twitter in some of the early days and like, it was really kind of exciting what you could do, the access that you had, the information like that, that it was like something happens and we can know about it instantaneously from a random person who's on the street while that thing's happening.
1: Yeah. I mean, it was, I mean, I still, you know, I am someone who every time I, I talk about social media, it's like, listen, I love the freedom I have not working for a social platform because I don't have to worry about pissing off advertisers because I used to have to worry about that. Um, Mm And I I have the ability to say what's good about it and what's not great about it. And I'm always kind of measured in my approach. You know, for for me, I, I want people to really take the onus and the responsibility on themselves. Like you can only control your span of control, right? Like you can't control Facebook. You can't control Twitter, you can't control TikTok, but you can control yourself. And that is what you absolutely should do. Like I purpose, I pur- purposely made a decision to not download TikTok. I was not comfortable with um, their privacy policy. I was concerned about how their data was going to be used. Um, and I'm someone who's like, I've been recruited there several times. I've talked to executives there. Like, it doesn't matter. Like, I just didn't like the policy. I know enough about this industry that... I felt strongly enough to not want to download it. Additionally, I know that I have an addictive personality. I can already have a propensity to waste too much time on socials as is. I didn't want another dopamine hit.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Like you understand how that works. Yeah. Can I ask you like really practically like the, um, the privacy policy, like what are you looking for there? Like I, Like, I don't ever read those, right? Because it's a million words there. And I just assume they all say the same thing. You know, what's something I should be paying attention to?
1: I would honestly give you the pro tip of if you're not going to, it's funny because I literally, I was using this app this week to delete all my tweets or delete all my likes because I wipe my Twitter regularly. And I literally read through an entire privacy policy for a tweet delete API. But if you're someone who's not going to do that, I would say just Google that company's name sure. for their privacy policy and see what the articles that have come out about it say, and then see if you're comfortable with it. Um, their, their privacy policy was pretty sweeping at TikTok. I don't know if it's differentiated now since the company has sort of been, um, bifurcated right. or there's this fragmentation. Um, but I'm just going to hold steady on not downloading it. Cause I feel like anything that goes viral from there, I see on my Instagram anyway, or someone sends it to me. Um, so that's why I decided not to do it. But um, yeah, I mean, it's the same, like I'm on clubhouse. I joined in October. So I was a pretty early adopter over there and I purposely made a decision to not really speak on there at all because I was like, I don't really know what they're going to do with audio data. I don't Hmm. really know if they're keeping this stuff or not. I would guess they are because I'm guessing they're going to want to sell ads because they're going to have to monetize. They haven't done it yet, but I know enough now to know in the early days of Twitter, Instagram and Facebook, we were just, you know, barfing stuff up all over the place without thinking about how you can't really take it back once you put it out. Like, you know, try deleting all your Instagrams when you have thousands like I do. It's hard unless you wipe the whole thing.
0: Right. So, um, so with, with social media, like you mentioned, dopamine hits, we know that there's like an addictive quality to it. And even in the ways that Mm -hmm. social media companies are, are utilizing, like, um, they're utilizing that, right? Like they want, they know, they know how to utilize that to get us to want to keep scrolling, to want us to keep checking. And then we also know, like, we're, like you were saying, we're the product, we're, because we're getting it for free, they're utilizing us in order to sell ads, which is like, that's how we get it for free. Yeah. That's like, yep. that's kind of the social contract that we've created there, right? Mm-hmm. What, um, what, in your opinion, is helpful ways of engaging in it with like that sort of knowledge?
1: Um, the first thing I tell people to do is really audit the platforms you use and if any of them don't make you feel good, delete it. Hmm. Like, what would
0: you describe as not feeling good? Because sometimes I feel good while I'm scrolling through it oh, and then yeah. I hate my life later.
1: So I I had Snap early in the day, like early in the, I had Snapchat like years ago. And I found that I, I didn't really like it. There was something about how sneaky it felt and private. And I was like, I don't have time for this. And so um, there was something about the app that I didn't really love, but I just deleted it. I was just like, I'm not going to try to make myself try and love this product when I don't really think it serves me. And then with Facebook, um, I felt like, um, I think in 2018 was when I deactivated my Facebook, if I'm right. So Facebook Facebook got to a point for me where it was just like, it was around the time that it turned into like um, a lot of long political stories. And yeah. as Instagram was really spinning up, because um, they acquired them, I sort of felt like it was redundant for me to have both. I was like, I can see all these people on Instagram you know, I'll talk to my, my, I only wanted to keep Facebook for my family in Brazil, but then I thought, well, whatever, there's WhatsApp. I'll just hit them up there. And so I deactivated my Facebook and, um, I realized I didn't really miss it. I I was just, I don't even know any, like, I, I don't even know what you use it for anymore these days. Um, because it just didn't serve me. I hear things like, oh, there's Facebook Marketplace. It's so cool. But I can just have Jeffrey use it if I need it.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Sure. I I just don't need, like,
1: how many many platforms do we need? I don't know. But, like, I just didn't need it. And so, although it's interesting because so many new platforms are spinning up right now. And it's, it's funny because it's like, it's kind of exciting to me again. I'm getting those like exciting feelings. I felt like when I would join Twitter, I'm like, Whoa, there's all these cool new social platforms that are starting. And, um, I'm, I'm very heavily skeptical because of having worked in this space so long, you know, I know that, you know, a lot of people that worked in social will get super loud about mindfulness or like, I never let my kids do an iPad or whatever. Um, cause they can afford five nannies, but I, I feel like, um, Silicon Valley is so pretentious, but I, um, I, um, but for me, I just kept it down to, like, my bare minimum. So what I'll do now is when there's a new social platform, I, I will literally, like, go on there and try to grab my name. I was so mad I didn't get Tatiana on Clubhouse, even though I don't use oh. the app. I was like, it's October. And I'm, how am I not Tatiana on here? Um, there's a new, like, that new wellness version called Quilt. I did get Tatiana on there.
0: so that's good. Well done.
1: Thank you. Thank you. Um, and flick play is another app that AR app that I'm messing around with. I got Tatiana on there, but, um, early adopters, we love to screen name grab, but, um, but yeah, I keep it these days. It's just like, I use Instagram, I use Twitter on mobile web. I don't have the Twitter app.
0: Um, why, why do you do it that way?
1: I used it more when I had the app on my phone. So I made it a hassle for myself to use it. So I have to go to the mobile web in order to use it, and that cuts my engagement down.
0: That's interesting. I recently, just a couple of months ago, made that same sort of move where I was like, I don't like the way that I'm engaging Twitter. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna only be able to get onto it on my computer. Yeah. And um, and it's been so much better.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing. It's like that goes back to that thing I was saying of you have to. You're driving the car. You know. You have to decide what's what's the right mix for you when it comes to these platforms, you know, with Instagram, um, I was doing really good before the coup situation. I was doing this thing where I would try to get up and I wouldn't, I would do a time block where basically I usually wake up like around five. So from five to five, I wouldn't open social media. Okay. do my life, read, journal in the morning, work, 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 work. And then at five, I would give myself like a little reward, like a little hour of social. Um, but then that coup happened and I went off a cliff. Screen time went. Yeah, sure. Cause I was just so mind blown. I mean, I think like there's a lot. And um, and I think because we're in a pandemic, there was a strong sense of I want to feel connected to my community. Cause I can't, I can't see my friends. I can't go to church. I'm not going to go to church, even though you can do it now. I'm not going to go cause I think it's irresponsible, but like, I just, I, um, so I've, I started using it more because I was just like, I need to connect with people right now because this feels so, so bizarre.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I, I actually, that's one of the things I wanted to ask you about is like, there are all these, I guess you could say like mindfulness strategies around social media that a lot of us had adopted and we're doing and then pandemic hits mm-hmm. and we had screen time limits and we had blah, 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 blah. And now all of a sudden it's like, we are so much more connected to screens than we've ever been before. So many of us are working over Zoom. I've been like in I, I, probably four different Zoom, five different Zoom meetings today. And that was a Like that was not a heavy day. Like I'll, you know, we'll have a whole lot more than that. Right. So we're so connected that way. And then in the same way, because we're not getting to hang out with people like social media feels like one of the ways that like we get to check in on what's going on in our friends lives and feel some level of connection. Mm -hmm. And, and then I think even like those are maybe like just reality is the zoom meetings. And then, Wanting connection is that piece. But then there's also like escapism. We're yeah. we're looking for all sorts of different ways to escape. And so, right, like alcohol buying's been on the rise. Yeah, um, scrolling through the social media has been on the rise. Yep. And I don't I just I've been trying to figure out like what is healthy right now yeah. in terms of both like there's reality and wanting connection and just reality of the junk going on. And at the same time, like we also know that over connection on this stuff, like is messing with our brains. Yeah. Um, yeah. What, what, what do we do right now?
1: I, yeah. So I had a conversation with, um, a friend of mine who's like a mentor and I was talking about, I think in America in particular, we've become these um productivity automatons where everything is like biohack your life and 10 ways to increase productivity and five ways to include increase digital mindful. I mean everything is like get it fast, get it now, become a better version of yourself. Pressure, pressure, pressure. And even mindfulness becomes pressure. Like everything has become this completely like robotic approach to life. And I was telling her um I was like oh my gosh my screen time was like 10 and a half hours last week and and I was like you know it's so bad and she said to me or maybe it was just what it needed to be and I was like right. whoa and and that was interesting for me it, it that was actually what I found to be the space where I could begin to open the door to change. Because I, even with physical fitness, I went from being like a crazy active yoga person and like almost competitive, which is so anti-yoga, but I'm a competitive person. I would like
0: to say competitive <laughs> yoga.
1: I was like, I will get side crow before the girl next to me. But um, no, but you know, that fell off in the pandemic and, um, and social media definitely went up and, work definitely increased more than usual. A lot of my creative pastimes went downhill. You know, I, I recorded some music, but then since August, I haven't really done anything. A lot of my creative writing went out the door and to, I think the the best starting place right now for anyone is grace. It's just, you know what? It is what it needed to be because we have just experienced so many traumatic incidents in collectively um, that I, I think, you know, and I don't drink, so social media in some ways was all I had next to carbs. Um, <laughs> but it's just, and, and what I found mentally was by, by giving myself that room to be like, okay, maybe it's what it needs to be. Then I found the space to be like, Maybe I'll take a walk for 30 minutes today. Mm. Maybe I won't use Twitter today. Maybe I will put down Instagram and, and still not pressuring myself, not offering myself a cookie if I do it or if I don't do it, but just being like, this is what it is for today. Um, because, you know, I was, I was talking to my therapist about just the volume of everything. Cause I, you know, a lot of people had their work slowed down because of COVID. I never experienced that. Like I joined Amazon. So everybody knows what it's like at Amazon. And, yeah. um, uh, you know, I, I was talking to my therapist about just kind of this subject. And she was like, well, it's important to have a wellness action plan where you can think of how you can, you know, start to be mindful of the things that make you feel good and do more of that and, um, so I just, I just keep it kind of basic on that front. Like I don't watch scary stuff cause it makes me feel bad. You know, I, I, um, I don't respond to emails when I'm really tired right now because I will make a mistake. I, if I get heated on social media, I disengage because no one ever is like, oh, that troll changed my mind or, oh, I had an argument with someone about like, I just, I just, you know, I was speaking to some women last Saturday and, um, for this like recovery thing. And in the middle of talking to them, I felt like I wasn't being present. And so I just said, I'm sorry, hold on a second. I need to get in my body. And I just took a deep breath. And it was so funny because afterwards that was the thing they talked about the most, they were like, I needed that.
0: Huh, yeah. I've
1: been living in my head so much and thinking so much that just seeing someone say, I'm sorry, I need to stop and take a breath and get in my body. Because so much of our day is, I'm not good enough, I'm not doing this, I'm not. At all. Well, you know, I shouldn't be using Instagram so much. I'm like, oh God, another Zoom, what am I gonna do? Did I forget the thing? Oh my gosh, I need something. I mean, that's our day. Um I did get into VR during pandemic though. And I really, I really like my workout product. Um, but, but you know, I, I just, I don't, I'm sort of the anti, um, prescription on this subject right now. I just think you start with grace and then you kind of go toward what feels good with what you have. And as, you know, as, as things open up here more, I mean, as the pandemic starts to subside, not open, I mean, opening up doesn't really have an impact on things. It's more about pandemic going away, but, you know, I think then we can start to go, oh, okay. I need to unpack because so many of us. I mean, I lost two cousins to COVID, you know? Mm-hmm. Like there's that, and there's starting a new job, and there's a pandemic, and there's not seeing all your friends. All- I mean, I don't know if you experienced this. I don't know if you watched the Super Bowl as Chiefs fans. It was we watched three quarters, but um seeing the weekend perform a show i was like oh gosh a concert like i had this like really emotional experience to it i got chills i was just like oh man there's a sadness there that i wasn't even aware of and i'm someone who generally hates leaving the house um so that was long-winded but
0: no i I really appreciate that. Like, I like what your mentor said to you. And I feel like that's um, even to circle back to kind of towards the beginning or earlier conversation, when you were talking about the idea of like Christians who are like kind of the idea of like, look at how good of a Christian I am by, and within fundamentalism it's like, I don't drink or dance or smoke or do those things. Right. Or see radar movies or whatever. And then there's a movement within uh, some circles of like, look at how good I am at keeping the Sabbath or look at how good I am at these spiritual disciplines. And then within like some progressive Christian movements, there's like, look Mm -hmm. at how good I am at standing up for these social justice issues. Mm -hmm. And, and there's all. And so then within this, there's even the like, look at how good I am at practicing digital mindfulness yeah yeah and it becomes another weight to bear Mm -hmm. and it doesn't become freeing it just becomes another thing that heaps can heap on guilt and shame um if i'm engaging in that in the wrong way and it can be a thing that like we even use to shame others in the way that we like talk about it to others
1: i mean yeah of course i mean if you look at for example you know um I had someone which once say to me that they were upset that this celebrity was being really loud about their the, the particular way that they were getting sober, this particular thing they were in, because this person tended to relapse a lot. And this person said to me, see, when you talk about it that much, you're communicating to people that relapse is normal for everybody, and it's not. And, and so I think that, you know, for me, I... You know, I, when it comes to digital mindfulness, which is a subject I am so passionate about, I'm always the first to say, like, I'm a giant fail a lot of times at this, you know? I mean, I am a super user. I am an early adopter to social media platforms. I had someone recently go, what does early adopter mean? And they thought, because my bio always says early adopter, later regretter. And she thought I meant, like, I, re- I adopt children, then regret it later. <laughs>
0: That's my favorite thing ever.
1: I took it off my Instagram bio because I was like, oh, Instagram's not ready for that tech humor. So for those who don't know, an early adopter is someone who joins a platform or tries a new technology before anybody else. Um, yeah, I was like, oh, gosh. But um, but yeah, I mean, I think that um, America loves competition, but competitive wellness and competitive spirituality and competitive sobriety is a recipe for failure. And competitive Christianity. I mean, that is what I rejected. I rejected this notion because what happens is life happens to people. And I would see how people would go through divorce in the evangelical church or in these different big mega churches that I grew up in. And there would be like, a, you know, and then, you know, someone's kid would get on drugs and like, alcoholism is a disease. It's a family disease. It goes down generations. Like no man of Jesus can stop you if your kid's an alcoholic. Like, it's just, it is what it is. And there was so much competitive um, piety that we see in the church um, that I rejected that. I was just like, that doesn't line up with Jesus to me, who was all about grace and who was not hanging out with the bestest Christians. Jesus was like, I just want to be where the real people are. And, and didn't, didn't judge them was just like, Hey, cool, love you, forgive you, sin no more, you know, and um, which gets, it's a whole separate theological conversation about how we rank sins in this country and blah, blah, blah. But, you know, um, but that's like, I fight against that because I, I think one of my greatest weaknesses, and, and people say this in job interviews facetiously, but I really think it's a weakness is perfectionism because it makes you risk averse because you somehow hold yourself up to some bar that you can't ever attain because you're not perfect. That's like yeah. the baseline of Christianity is like, I'm not perfect <laughs> aside from salvation, but you know um, so I, you know, rejecting um, this past year, I've had a lot of opportunities to really embrace the idea of imperfection in my life in like, Oh, I shop too much. Oh, I, I booped this thing at work. Um, and I'm okay. Like that's all right.
0: That's, that's actually really, really good words. And I think that's a good place for us to wrap up on. Um, thanks for being on here with me and everybody can find you as we've already pointed out several times at Tatiana on, on all the social media networks except for Snapchat. Yeah.
1: Twitter and Instagram and medium. Oh yeah.
0: You've got some great articles on medium, particularly around this. Mm -hmm. Um, I'll link to those in, in the fancy show notes.
1: It's also in my, just in my bio on Instagram, but yeah. Oh,
0: perfect. We love it. Fancy, fancy. Hey, thanks so much for doing this with me. I really appreciate it. Well, there you go, friends. Uh, My friend Tatiana and um, go find her on the social medias in mindful, thoughtful ways that you are engaging in those platforms and uh, don't turn it into a wellness competition. Till next time, grace and peace, G friends.